Hello, friends uh, and comrades. We're here. Uh, this is your Highlands Bunker for the week. We're behind enemy lines. We're uh, we're in the shadow of Rockford Tower, and uh, we're it's 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 a gloomy. It's been a gloomy week. It's a gloomy night. Uh, Tories just freaking trounced it. Uh, we just got word of it about ninety minutes ago, so we're sort of commiserating um, about why. And I think what we've come down to is that, you know, Brexit was a powerful thing. Um, it won in a, in, a, in a referendum. And so you can't just put the genie back in the bottle. Um, the good news is that the Lib Dems got fucking obliterated. Joe Swinson lost her seat, I just found out, which is nice. Not confirmed yet, but it's most likely. Most I'll, I'll let it this out if she didn't. <laughs> yeah, good. Um yeah, so just a word on that. Um, I don't know. Like the Tories were able to come out and just say get Brexit done, and that's ridiculous. Um, but it is a message that obviously resonates because it it already won the referendum. Um, so the Lib Dems said hard remain. You know, Labor tried to cut a sort of a middle ground. Say we'll negotiate it and put it up for we'll put, we'll put the final deal up for on uh, a referendum, but you know once once Brexit went down, I think it was real tough to like kind of work your way around it. I don't know. That's that's a feeling I get. I mean, it's just a lot of it is we're seeing sort of the result of this huge shift that's been happening over American politics in the last ten years or so, which is this massive movement of your sort of prototypical white working class people into like a more conservative voting pattern because a lot of the people, a lot of the seats that Labor's losing tonight are ones that they held for decades because they were historically working class seats, but now they're going the other way. And I think it's sort of a, because I've been thinking on that trend a lot over the last, you know, few months because it's something that's been very clear in Britain, in uh, America, in France, in basically every country, every you know major sort of Western country, and I think a big part of it is you're just seeing sort of the what happens when the idea of an actual working class gets obliterated. So like this austerity that has happened over the last several decades has basically alienated working class people from any sort of actual movement. So there's no real union movement anymore, and so like you see even in Sweden that. Uh, union members because it's not as powerful a force anymore they're moving hardcore from the uh the center left parties into like these far right parties because when there's no uh strong working class organization that can say like your enemy are the people that are exploiting you that they're the people that are keeping you down it's it's the billionaires it's the capitalists uh when that goes away you know you have crazy conservative right-wing media that's going to tell you that the problem is the immigrants, the problem is the poor people, the problem is the African-Americans, it's the Muslims, it's whatever seems to be the most viscerally in front of you thing that there is. And I don't think that we currently really have a political solution to that. I mean, we're I think we're starting to see it right now that the only way to fight back against this is community organizing. What we're doing here in Delaware with like Network Delaware, Delaware United, like it's a really fucking difficult process and it takes a long fucking time. 
and we've only really started doing this in like in Britain. Corbyn got elected 2015. Uh, he's probably going to be gone now, just the way the electoral system works. But like that movement really only started pretty recently in Delaware. It's really only started after the 2016 election. A lot of parts of the country, a lot of parts of the West, it has only really started very recently. And we can't just expect to win right out of the gate when our movements are so new. But like this isn't the end of the world, just Trump's election was not the end of the world. It's really bad. It's really bad. And Britain's going to suffer. But it's, um, you know, there's no absolute victories. There's no absolute losses. We have to keep pushing. And hopefully the next time it's going to be better. Yeah, it does the other thing, too. It's sort of, uh, for someone like me who's cynical anyway, it's like, yep, it's another L, just like we expect. Um, it's another, you know, kick in the nuts. I guess it's a kick in the bollocks in this context. Um, but yeah, we're we're as Lincoln said, we're now the the last best hope on earth. I mean, now we have to get behind Bernie like, you know, like nobody's business. I mean, we're we're gonna have to do you know what Labor tried to do. We're gonna have to do it here, starting you know yesterday. I mean, and, and, and as you said, we're, we're doing. We don't have to deal with Brexit. That that was a really <coughs> big issue. Yeah, you can't. You sort of can't get around that one. It was sort of stuck there. Um, you know, I still worry that the Brexit type of sort of cultural and social stuff is still too strong to convince people that, you know, your material needs are not going to be met that way. Like, I think about this, I think about Brexit and the, the, the one parallel I always draw is like, okay, well, London will be like a Singapore sort of situation, sort of freewheeling, you know, you know, money generating thing. But, you know, the working class people in the north or in the east of England, like, they're not going to see any of that. Like, that's not going to, their lives are going to get worse because the things that they were told that Brexit's going to fix that were hurting them aren't really hurting them at all. So I, I'm wondering, you know, when the real sort of when the when the real pain hits, which it probably will now. Um what that's going to look like because now I, I think a lot, you know, it, it, the social issues in the UK are not great. You know, um, austerity has, has killed the NHS. So they'll probably sell that off. Um, food bank usage is up. Rough sleeping and homelessness is up. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a good situation there and this is not going to help it because the, the people that this helps, don't care about solving those problems. They care about hiding those problems. So, yeah, uh, people are going to suffer. It's not going to be nice. It's a shame. Well, moving on to something. On that uh, happy note. Yeah, on that fucking great note. Um, we can move to something uh, a little happier, but I guess I really didn't <clears throat> sort of introduce the show properly because we were so gloomy when we hit record. Uh it's just Carl and I tonight. Uh, we're sort of taking a little breather. Um, you know, the last, I guess, month or so, we've been ripping with, you know, national guests, um, with, uh, you know, organizers here. And so we just took a little breather. We have something really big planned um, in about two weeks. Uh, it's a three-segment show about some actual really cool organizing stuff and activism that's gone on up and down the state. Um, that'll be led by, uh, Erica Gutierrez, um, the queen, uh, this week, 
Uh, you probably just heard the Paul Blessed episode. Um, hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, I, I, you know what? I was gonna was gonna kind of give a little teaser to the other thing, but I probably won't. We got some things cooking, folks. Let's just put it that way. You, you now might be a good time to get in. This will be a good time for the plug. You guys can all get in on the ground floor of something that this time next year is going to be pretty, pretty, pretty fun. I'll just put it to you that way. Uh, we'd also like to thank our uh, non-official official sponsor, uh, Two Stones. We don't have any Two Stones beer here tonight because I drank it all. Um, Pilsner, again, was delicious. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Two Stones. We also got the very special seasonal stout. It's a coffee stout. They they team up with Wawa for a coffee stout seasonal. If you see it, Two Stones coffee stout, Wawa label. Pick some up wherever uh, fine beers are sold. So this week a poll dropped uh, from Data for Progress, Progressive Think Tank. And I'm trying to arrange a discussion with one of the fine folks at Data for Progress so they can uh, walk us through uh, sort of the methodology and the results and the, I'm going to look at Carl when I do this, the cross tabs. Because uh, I, I, actually, I do know what they are. But I have a lot to say about the cross tabs. I'm, I, I had a feeling that you would. Um, basically, what, in, in a nutshell, um, the poll showed that a generic sort of um, somebody to the left of Coons, a female progressive candidate, um, did pretty well. Uh, when when advised of Coons's uh, sort of weaknesses, being you know Trump judges um, and military spending and things like that, um, this candidate, this generic candidate, did even better. Um, I think it said when when bipartisanship was mentioned in general, Coons did do better. And of course, I'm sure he has polling to say that because he says it every time he opens his mouth. Um, but when it's explained that bipartisanship meant, and then you bring up the you know the weaknesses, the Trump judges, and and um, some of the things that have been stopped. Um, again, that generic candidate does very well. So it was, it's, it's very exciting to see that there is an opening and there's an argument to be made. Uh, and now you can hit us with the cross tab info. Okay. So just a sort of information on the top line numbers is the basic question that was asked is if you were asked to support either Chris Coons or a hypothetical liberal, more liberal, uh, female democratic challenger. Uh, the results were 32% of, of Democrats, this is, 32% preferred Chris Coons and 36 preferred a more liberal female Democrat. And after they read out some arguments against Chris Coons, uh, that, those numbers went from 24 for Chris Coons and 45 for the challenger. So that went from a already 4 for the challenger, just baseline, and then that is a 21-point advantage for the challenger when you read out the arguments Against Chris Coons, and that goes back to 32-36, uh, so another four-point advantage uh, when you read the arguments for Chris Coons. So basically, this it's important to remember that with um, 
the sort of thing that happens that anytime you do a poll with a actual person versus sort of a generic idea of a person, the generic idea of the person is normally going to do better than like an actual other person would. But the fact that even this, so, I mean, the issue that we have in Delaware is that we all just sort of, a lot of people just have these vague, warm, fuzzy feelings about like their elected officials, like John Carney, who no one I've actually talked to seems to really like has a approval rating of like, has one of the highest, I think the highest approval rating of any Democratic governor in the country, simply because people, you know, they see, oh, he's up there, he's doing his thing. So, you know, I guess I support him. Uh, and so people just sort of assume that this means that no primary is ever going to work. But I mean, we saw in 2018 that Kerry Evelyn Harris got 35% against a guy who'd been around since like 1974. And this sort of shows that there is an opening there. So even if maybe if you put Jeff Skarain's name in there, it's not going to be, you know, quite as favorable at this point. You know, this does show that Chris Coons is not some invincible wall of moderation. Um, and that when you actually read out Chris Coons' record, it does hurt him. So a lot of people, and I know I've talked to a whole bunch of people, because now when Chris Coons comes up, I'll always try to sneak in some little arguments in there. And most people don't know about like his voting record on Trump judges. Most people don't know about how hard he's going after the left. And when he goes after people protesting against Trump harder than he goes after Trump, a lot of people are really turned off by that. And he just keeps doing it. That's his thing. I, I don't know why it's his thing, but it's his thing. Yeah, this is a, a good time. I, I like to uh, tell you a little anecdote and sort of and sort of prove a, a trope that we we try to point out on the left uh, quite a bit. And the, the anecdote is this. I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, after the Thanksgiving holiday, and he was talking about some of the conversations he had at Thanksgiving with his relatives. And um, they are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're very, very wealthy. Um, I, th I think um, they, were, they, they did, uh, I think one of them is a hedge fund uh, guy, uh, who was previously with a big uh, brokerage house, and one of them is in private equity, I, I think. Um, so there's these two guys, and they're having this conversation, and, and they consider themselves liberal, you know, liberal people. They're sort of sophisticated, urbane, you know, professional people. Um, the, the, the professional managerial class, maybe the upper echelon of the professional managerial class. And they flat out said, you know, I, I'm liberal, uh, but if you nominate Bernie, I'm voting for Trump. Now, th these are a very small sliver of the electorate. Like, it do that doesn't, the idea that they're voting for Trump isn't what's interesting. The idea is that um, you can see what someone's motivations are when, when they have to choose between, you know, a Bernie program and a Trump program. They'll choose the Trump program. It's sort of like it, it gives their game away a little bit, um, you know. So there, so there are there are some people um, that understand that dynamic, like Chris Coons, and tries to exploit that dynamic. But just be very like cognizant of that's what's happening. So when you hear Chris Coons punch left about radical socialism and people doing political actions and you know, maybe doing some protests or demonstrations, but you, but, but when you hear him speak about Trump, he's, he's, he's measured, you know, he hopes his Republican colleagues will, 
you know, I, I don't know, but he, he's extremely measured. So think about what that means, right? When Pete, when, 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 when moderates like this punch left, when they're, when they're, when their criticism of candidates to their left are more, uh, harsh, more sort of underhanded, uh, more strange, uh, more strident, um, Think about what that means and what kind of person um, that that politician is, what they support, what they really think, who they're really, what interests they're really serving. And so if you do want to, you know, fight back against that sort of stuff, here's a fun little list of the most effective arguments against Chris Coons. So the most effective was pointing out that uh, Chris Coons has voted to confirm 18 Trump judicial nominees opposed by a national civil rights group because of their refusal to endorse Brown versus Board of Education. So that's uh, it's kind of an issue, you know. I think, and actually, especially given Delaware's history, that one of our cases is one of the ones that made up Brown versus Board of Education because our schools were so segregated and still are so segregated. That's kind of an issue that he doesn't really seem to care about Brown versus Board. Like that's kind of an issue, and that is the most effective argument that the poll found against him. Uh, and so, second one is that. Chris Coons is the co-chair of a Washington-based group that accepts funding from the Koch brothers and has attacked proposals to expand Social Security. Another little fun fact there. Might not have known that. Uh, and third big one is uh, Chris Coons joined with Republicans to vote to repeal a major part of the Wall Street reform law that was passed after the 2008 banking crisis. Another thing that Chris Coons did that you might not have known about. So yeah, those are the three most sort of salient when it comes to going after Chris Coons's record and I think you know for good reason because they all suck a lot yeah I, I think when I, I'm happy that the idea that the judges is so effective because that's where you really see um, two things really you you see the fact that uh, pres- you know, people who went to prestig- prestigious schools and, you know, there was one judge who, you know, I, I guess he went to Yale with Coons. And he was just like, wasn't that what it was? He, yep. He, he was his friend. Um, yeah, I mean, that's more important. You know, also, folks like Coons think that they're, like, think that they're there to keep the like they work for a company and the company is the government. And just because the people have another political idea uh, or disagree that his job is to keep that all together. And I don't think that's his job at all. I, th- I think, you know, if, if people are suffering, we can decide to help those people. Or we can decide the ways to marginalize those people further to make sure they never cross paths with, you know, the powerful people. And yeah, I mean that it's a whole it's a whole outlook, and I'm glad that <clears throat> putting those things in perspective, people do sort of understand them. They're like, oh yeah, that's not good, you know. And and I hope some of the stuff we were talking before about uh, Rokana, Rokana just made a, a great speech on the. F- on the floor of the house uh, about an, another military in- budget increase. You know, it's now, I think $125 billion more than when Obama left office. Um, and we just spend that money and it goes into like just a black hole. 
you know, we sell missiles to Ukraine and Saudi Arabia and, and, and you know, we, we have bases, you know, in Germany and Somalia and, and who knows where. And it just, nobody asks, nobody says boo about it. Nobody cares. But, you know, when you want to spend that same amount of money, um, you know, on free college, free public college for everybody, people have an absolute fucking freak out. And it's people need to start being challenged on this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I hope everybody goes and listens to that Rokana speech because it's actually, uh, it's really good. I mean, it's almost like because... When we spend however billion, many billion dollars on the Space Force, like a lot, most people are not going to see, unless we have some sort of space invasion that I'm not aware of that's coming up, uh, most people aren't going to see the effects of that. It's just going to be like a black hole. And I mean, you know, maybe some Space Force families will get, you know, a good living out of it, but it's an extremely inefficient use of money for something that's really dumb. And I almost think that some of these people are afraid of voting for something like free college or free childcare or Medicare for all, because if we actually spend that money on something that has a material effect on every people and everyday people's lives, then people might start to see that like, hey, we have this power to do something like it's not just a far out thing that, you know, Bernie Sanders talks about. Like it is a thing that the government has the capability to do and we have the capability to demand from the government. And once people realize that, if we actually have a good version of that uh, and not like, you know, a botched Obamacare website that kind of helps some people, but not everybody, then people are going to start making those demands more and more. And once people start making those demands more and more, then suddenly it's going to be like, OK, well, to pay for it, we have to, you know tax the rich. We have to actually re-examine how wealth is distributed in this country because right now it's kind of fucked up. And so I think a lot of people are almost afraid to really help people's lives that much because it's stepping into a territory that has basically not existed in American politics since the New Deal era or maybe like the war on poverty in the 60s. So Chris Coons is sort of a perfect example of that because he kind of just wants things to stay the same. Like if you look at most of his statements about stuff, it's all about, you know, uh, having rational discussion, very calm, very measured. He's very much in sort of the classic federalist idea of the Senate as sort of the the place where idea where democracy is cooled down and made into something more rational and reasonable, which is just absolute nonsense. Like. It's easy to say that when you are you're related to one of the people in the Gore family, but if you're actually trying to, you know, pay for medic or for medical care, pay for child care, um, pay your student debt off, like you don't really have as much luxury to, you know, be all high and mighty about those sorts of things. Yeah, it's basically like saying this is fine. Whatever you see, you know, whether you know whatever whatever you know touches your life, whether it's. Um, you know, medical problems uh, or bankruptcies or, you know, loss of job uh, or, uh, you know, you're especially like I think about uh, older people's medical care, seeing my grandparents and, and, and people who, you know, I have one grandparent still alive, but seeing them, you know, go through their end of life stuff like we can either we can we could address that stuff for people or we could have like a space force. I sometimes think, like, what the fuck are people talking about? Like, I'm I'm out of control 
because they just voted to have now they did tie that to some sort of a progressive call right wasn't there something tied to it that was some progressive i think it was parental leave yes I'm gonna look uh, that federal up. parental leave i yeah. think that's exactly what oh it was. for was i think it was just for employees just federal. federal federal employees get three months now maybe because of the space force which is great like that's awesome like that we should be having we should have guaranteed uh, paid leave for like six months up to like a year most like more reasonably and it should be for every worker not just federal employees but obviously we're not quite there yet yeah i mean it's the 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 the, the point is it's it's a it's an exercise in political will and sort of kind of trying to buck the system because i i don't believe that Chris Coons believes that we should have a fucking space force, but he doesn't care. Like as long as everything just is, as long as some deal was struck, the, the, in the striking of the deal and keeping things together is the is the that's the goal. Nothing has to happen. People have said this about the Delaware General Assembly too. So the leaders there, their their goal is for nothing to happen. Keep everything exactly the same. Don't do worse, but don't do better. And I, and I don't, uh, I just don't buy that. Yeah. Was that the Khan speech? Yeah. So, I mean, and so this is what um, Rokana talks about is that the defense budget, that's the actual number, is $120 billion more than when Obama's left. Okay, yeah. And so that could fund free college for every American and it could fund free or, or it could fund access to high speed, affordable internet for every single American. But instead it's, you know, funding a space force, it's funding the war in Yemen, it's funding the war, uh, a potential war with Iran, apparently. That's fun. Um, so, yeah, it's just absolute It's a nonsense. Raytheon's job package. You know, it's it's heavy hitters in the military industry. It's a way to just keep funneling them money and keep the system together. I mean, it, does, it, it serves no purpose. It does $120 billion more in the last three years serve any purpose like what what more can we do today that we couldn't do three years ago nothing we just have to fund proxy wars and i mean who knows you know who knows what we're doing but but nobody but that's absolutely unquestioned he's he's a radical person for standing up and saying that it's just the most basic common sense observations about how messed up our budget is is yep absolutely radical absolutely radical speaking of uh, of wars <clears throat> and i actually um i'm sad to say i don't know all of the details um but you know they're i think they're, they're going to wind up being pretty bad this is another thing rokana brought up in a committee hearing this week the afghan papers so <clears throat> you know the pentagon papers showed us uh, the rat fuck in Vietnam. And the Afghan papers are showing us the exact same thing about that. Um, you know, that was that was the Soviets Vietnam. Uh, and now it's our second one, I guess. Uh, and I, I don't know a lot of the details. I don't know if uh, I think Carl's quickly pulling some of them up. But um, yeah, I mean, I think what you're going to find is that most of the people in power just lied you know that they, they, they just they had geopolitical reasons to get bogged down in, in, a, in a in a 
a ridiculous quagmire. And so that's what they did. Uh, will people have to answer for it? Probably not. Um, I th- There's at least some you know talk of holding some investigations in the house where maybe some leaders will be some you know some higher ranking people will be co- will have to come in and sort of answer for their behavior. But again, I, I expect very little. Um, just this week again, um, somebody asked Nancy Pelosi a question about impeachment and why she's going to impeach this time and not didn't impeach in the other times. And she said that you know when she became speaker, she was on the uh, intelligence committee, so she knew that there were no uh, nuclear weapons in Iraq. If you remember, the the uh, the talking point was. You know, the, it'll be a mushroom cloud. That'll be the, the result of, of inaction. I think Colin Powell said it. Dick Cheney said it on Meet the Press. Blah, 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 blah. So they knew that that was a lie. But she said because they had won the election in 2004, that there's nothing she could do about it. Hmm. Did you see this? I did not see that. Uh, that's really something. She said that that wasn't. She didn't consider that an impeachable offense because they were just because they won the election. They're basically allowed to spin whatever they want. That's like their privilege, I guess, in the, in elite Washington circles. I mean, it's because you can't impeach over actual things. You can't impeach over like the fact that there are concentration camps on the border. That's not in the impeachment papers. You can't impeach that uh, government. So yeah, I just brought up that there is a great Washington Post piece. Uh, where they go over it. It's really long. We'll link to it in the description. But the base idea is that U.S. officials knew that basically, well, A, they, they didn't know anything about Afghanistan. Um, and they knew that it was basically a unwinnable war. And yet they lied consistently to the press and to the people about how winnable it was. Uh, but you can't impeach over that because everybody does it. You can't impeach over the concentration camps at the border because everybody does it. So you can only impeach over things that like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, the Ukraine thing is bad. Like, it's not good. But you can only impeach over, like, very specific things that, like, you can't, you know, get kicked back when your guy does it in four years. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's the Chris Coons thing. It's it's like you don't really disagree or the or the, or the person who won't vote for, you know, the, 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 the private equity guy who won't vote for, who'll vote for Trump over Bernie. It's like they don't really mind Trump, actually. What they don't like is the way that he goes about doing things, the the crass sort of fucking low rent way that he does it. Like, that's what this is. Like, he just sent his own people over to cut a side deal and was just hyping up conspiracy theories to gain political points and holding up money. I mean, that's really what it was going back to the military thing. They're like, hey, we got to sell these fucking missiles. Like, what the fuck? Like, it all basically, people got pissed off that they couldn't sell the Javelin missiles to Ukraine. And so they discovered that the reason was because Trump was bribing the Ukrainian president. So it's not good. But, like, the again, the real reason is ridiculous. It actually serves the, serves the state. So, yeah, it's pretty sick. The, the Pelosi thing's pretty sick. Uh, the Afghan papers are, I hope, become something that we can continue to go back to and maybe hold some people accountable. 
Um, which leads me to a very interesting uh, idea. Now, I probably shouldn't say too much about it, but, you know, you can meet fire with fire if that's what you need to do. But I'm, I'm considering speaking to some friends of mine and um, going out and exercising our First Amendment privilege uh, to go and picket uh, the Grand Opera House in January because speaking at the Grand Opera House will be one retired high-ranking general uh, in the U.S. Army to tell us about, I don't know, leadership or whatever the fuck. So, you know, I'm sure people will go to it. I mean, there's fucking reactionary rubes everywhere. We have our share here. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to let those people know like what they're what they're going to go listen to. And, you know, maybe I'll let them know about the Afghanistan papers. Um, you know, maybe who knows? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll protest, maybe I don't know. Maybe you should do it. Maybe somebody listening to this should say, "Hmm. I can just, you know, grab a little sign." You know, pick it, tell people what you think of, you know, the military industrial complex and one of its most recent uh, architects and ghouls showing up in Wilmington to teach people about, uh, I don't know, courage, whatever the fuck. Patriotism. Patriotism. Teach you how to fuck the flag. That should be fun. I mean, if 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 we were to do it, it would be fun. And if theoretically you wanted to do it, we'll put a uh, a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it. We'll let you know. And theoretically, like, theor- yeah, like maybe. Like I'm just saying, it's the thing is happening, and it would be an interesting thing to go and and do if you were so inclined. Now, I I don't know whether I'm inclined or not. To be perfectly honest, I have lots of inclinations. They vacillate. I I don't know. Well, you know, give us the, the general field update. I mean, you're out with uh, Medina like every weekend. Yeah. It's, it's probably hard to do it during the week because of the, the weather and the, and the time. Yeah, we're that. basically out of commission during the week for the next probably three months or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I saw on uh, the internets uh, just this week that your, your door knocking goal is being, is being crushed. Yes. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that, like just the, the numbers and sort of what your new sort of goals are going to be, and then maybe we can get into some specific specific things that you're hearing and what what the feel is out there. Yeah. So this is sort of a situation where typically I wouldn't want to give a lot of specifics, but just because. Um, well, I'm just going on what was on the yeah on social media. Yeah, exactly. So. The benefit of running a progressive organization for your campaign is that you don't have to be secretive about what you're doing because the the secret sauce is not some strategy, some very complicated strategy to like faint one direction and actually do this thing or like raise a bunch of secret money and fundraisers. Like the strategy is very simple. We want to get our message in front of as many people as possible and make sure that as many people, especially young people and people of color 
who in this district have been typically pretty disenfranchised, actually get to the polls. So we have been running a very field-focused campaign. Uh, so for context, there's about um, 9,000 Democrats in this district, which adds up to about 4,500 to 5,000 doors of people who have Democrats behind them. And in the last three months of our campaign, uh, we've been out every weekend and we have knocked just under 4,000 doors. We're going to hit 4,000 by the time this comes out. But yeah, so that's a lot of people. That's most of the Democrats in the district. Um, and we've been running a fairly informal campaign so far. Like nobody's getting paid to knock doors. We've only started doing like real volunteer outreach in the last few weeks. But yeah, so we've been doing that. A lot of other progressive campaigns have been putting up good numbers as well. Uh, but yeah, so we're right now we're working on talking to every single Democrat. So a lot of campaigns, uh, especially in primaries, what they do is that they'll talk to super voters. And so that is people, especially in primaries, who have voted in two out of three or three out of three of the last elections. And basically what people intend to do by talking to these people is they don't want to expand the electorate at all. They just figure there's an electorate there. These are the people that are going to vote in the primaries. And if we win over 51% of them, we win. End of story. But that, especially in the era that we live in today, when so many more people are getting involved, so many young people are finding their interest in politics for the first time. Like I have so many friends who are completely apolitical before the 2016 election. And now they're asking me, when can I vote? Who, can, who am I going to be able to vote for? All this stuff. Never asked this before. I had to drag a couple friends to the polling place in 2016 that are now enthusiastically even like volunteering and donating money to candidates. So it's awesome. Uh, and so if you work with this model of only talking to super voters, it just, you are completely limited, and especially if you're running a progressive campaign, you're absolutely limiting the potential of what you can do because these campaigns are not just about winning 50, 50% plus one of the vote. It's about, and you have the opportunity to actually build up a sort of community organization structure in communities that have had never had people actually talk to them and ask what they think. And so, like, for example, um, in 2018, the concentration of campaigns running in every state Senate and every state House seat uh, led to, A, a huge increase in turnout, and B, actually several grassroots organizations that popped up from people who were getting involved that actually focused on community issues. So if you've heard of the Three Little Bakers uh, development, like a huge part of why that became a big deal was because there were people knocking on their neighbors' doors and talking to them about their issues, and that was a huge issue. So like regardless of what you think about the issue or the Three Little Bakers thing itself, like that's a huge development. So that's what we're trying to do in South Newark. It's what Larry Lambert's trying to do in Claymont and the Ardens. It's what uh, Jess Skorain is trying to do statewide. And it's we have this huge opportunity now with so many people getting involved because of Trump uh, and because of Bernie Sanders and because of you know the, some of the other candidates and because of all this energy up and down the ballot, we have the ability to build an organization that's going to last, to get people involved that have never been involved before. And you know, in talking to these many people, and we've actually <sighs> also probably by the time this gets released, we'll put up a, a policy paper on policies for working families that was literally developed by people that we talked to at the door because so many candidates just don't talk to that many people but we talked to a lot of people we heard their concerns we talked to the stakeholders and we have a policy paper because of it 
And so, like, you don't really see that in Delaware that often. And I'm really excited about what we've been able to do so far and what we're going to be able to do in the future. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped about it. We were talking about sort of like <clears throat> there are things that I look at as sort of aspirational. Um, a lot of stuff in electoral politics, I think, is aspirational. Like, you know, Jezza was aspirational. Um, <laughs> the, yeah. Like, it's. I mean, look. He was. You know. He's. He's. He's a. He's a. He's. He's. He's to the left of Bernie. So that's. You know. That's a fairly aspirational thing. But at the. At the. At the grassroots level, like at the local sort of level, when you're talking about. You know, ten thousand or less, sort of, as a constituency, that you want to try to convince. Of something. I feel like the argument is you can make that you can make a clearer distinction when you're talking to people at that level, talking about what affects them. Like when you can talk about like three little babies, like when, when you can talk about a, a, a specific issue that's going to be sp- sort of touch directly the, the, the person. It's different than just talking about like things in general. Like Brexit, all of that general stuff um, is most of it's a con just for capitalists to make money. But this is where the the the, the victories are going to be, and that's when it starts to build up. You know, that's that's what actually gives me some inspiration to sort of keep going because the victories are actually going to come. You know, a lot of people aren't going to notice them. Yeah. Until all of a sudden you're like, oh, uh, the General Assembly's pretty progressive now. You know, like four years from now, six years from now. I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, maybe we knock off. You know, again, there there are going to be, you know, some big trees are going to fall. Like, you know, Joe Crowley and AOC. Those things will keep happening too and that will inspire people. But a lot of this stuff is going to creep up on you. You know, six, eight years from now, you know, the General Assembly is going to look very different. Yeah. Um, and if you want to see what that looks like, I mean, just look at Chicago, Chicago City Council, where they have six DSA members now, or look at um, New York uh, General Assembly, where they DSA member, a lot of few DSA members got elected um, and that got a Democratic majority. And now they're passing like Green New Deal legislation. They're passing huge tenants rights things in Washington. Uh, progressives got the majority and now they're passing like universal pre-K. They're passing another Green New Deal plan. They're passing a whole bunch of great stuff. Uh, so, like, these victories are already happening. We're already starting to see the effects of them. And the thing is, once you win one seat, that is a jumping-off point. And that's what we've seen with AOC, is that one victory can be a jumping-off point for an entire movement. And then, say, that one person wins, and the next time, like, six people win. Then the next time, like, 12 people win. And you are building a huge... You're building a movement, and that movement is building power. And that power can be used to actually help people's lives. And once people see that their lives are materially being bettered by this form of politics, they're more likely to get involved. Like, there's a lot of people who get involved in politics because, you know, they want to feel have that sense of, like, power over other people and or, like, they want to, like, manage things or they just sort of like it as sort of like a game. And that's how you get people like Chris Coons, who just sees it as, like, an exercise of power, basically. But you have a lot of people now, and you see it, like, if you go to a single network Delaware meeting, you have people who are getting involved in politics because they actually care about issues that affect their lives, 
and that is really hard to break. Once you can get that person, maybe to show up for a canvas, maybe to show up to an event, maybe even just to register to vote for the first time. Like, that is a huge step. And every time you knock on a door, every time you go out and really try to organize for change, you have an immense level of power in your hands. And I think we're starting to see that uh, with the progressive movement and the socialist movement over the last few years. And I think we're bound to see it a lot more. And there's going to be losses. I mean, look at the UK, but... You know, it's not a linear process, but it is a process that we have to keep working towards. Yeah, my hope is that that like that UK is a special case because a lot of things were coming together there. Um, but you know, it's still it's still a bummer. I mean, also just <laughs> I mean, in the UK, look at twenty seventeen where Brexit was. I mean, an issue, but less of the main issue. I mean, Corbyn running on the basically the same platform did a lot better. Like, it's not just it's not necessarily that. It's the platform that hurts. There's always special cases. There's the examples of, you know, the press just tearing them apart over, like, anti-Semitism stuff. Again, that's my last thing, and I was wondering if we're going to get into it. So and, let's get yeah. into it if we can, because... And also just uh, the, the Brexit issue is just so overwhelming. And, yeah. you know, he... I, I think you know, I, I have... Maybe a, he didn't handle it the best, as good I, as he I, I have a friend of mine, and, and the the... The feeling that I get, I have a friend of mine uh, from Watford. Uh, I have another friend of mine who's, uh, whose uh, mother-in-law lives in uh, Southampton, right near the beach. Um, yeah, I, 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 so I'm the, the feeling that I get from from those folks and from the, the reading that I've done is that, yeah, basically they've painted Corbyn as you know a, a communist. Uh, he was at, you know, he was an, they say he's an, he's an IRA sympathizer. He's an anti-Semite and, you know, on the face of it, it's absurd. I mean, he's just a guy like Bernie who's had a consistent sort of leftist message. Uh, you know, he's, he's been with, you know, the, the Caribbean, uh, immigrants that, you know, came in the seventies, Windrush. Uh, he's been with the African immigrants. He's picketed against apartheid in South Africa. You know, he was a labor leader, a labor, not just a party, but a, you know, trade unionist, um, somebody who was organizing strikes uh, against Thatcher. Um, so he was just like, a, he was a leftist dude, just a consistent person. And obviously he was also one of the first people, one of the first, you know, uh, British politicians or in his faction that signed on to, uh, you know, basic civil and human rights for LGBTQ, LGBTQ people. Um, so, you know, it's obvious the guy's not an anti-Semite. He's not a homophobe. I mean, he's, a, you know, he's an open, open-minded leftist guy. Um, but people really believe that he was a crazy person. Uh, with with very little evidence, they were able to paint him as an, an anti-Semite, a Stalinist, uh, you know, whatever you want to say, and that's that's a little bit scary that that you can just do that, and 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 that's I, that's the feeling I get, you know, that the, we got to get this nutter out of the labor. I'd vote. This this isn't what labor is supposed to be. I'm like, well, what is labor supposed to be? Like, I don't like what it, what is what is Corbin. What did Corbyn propose in a labor manifesto that isn't what labor is supposed to be? That's the that's where I'm 
kind of like I don't understand because that's the impression I get is that he was, you know, something that doesn't appear to me that he was. Yeah, I mean, I do try to take a little bit of a nuanced take because, like, there are a few examples where, like, something actually anti-Semitic did happen in the Labor Party. It was never, like, it was never Jeremy Corbyn directly, but, like, someone, you know, said something shitty and maybe it wasn't punished as quickly as it should have. Like, I don't want to play down like the existence of anti-semitism I also in general know, yes. because like it's a real I mean as we've seen this week with um the Trump executive order that anti-semitism is a pressing as we saw with the shooting in Jersey as we saw last year with the shooting in Pittsburgh like anti-semitism is a pressing issue yeah, but like the idea am, that that sh- that we should stretch these few cases where we're, where it wasn't even him specifically and also so there's two parts of it the a that we should stretch this out so much that he is basically Hitler is absurd. And also what that rests on, and which is really problematic. And like, I'm not personally Jewish. I do have, um, you know, my great grandparents were escaping pogroms in Russia, but like, I'm not personally Jewish. Uh, but I do try to like, you know, when there's an issue that I'm not necessarily familiar with, I do actually try to talk to people involved. And there's a real issue that I've seen with a lot of people connecting support for Israel with support for Jews and that is really problematic as we've seen once again with this Trump thing because when you defined uh Israeli Israel Israelis and Jews as inseparable concepts basically what you're saying is that if you're a Jew then you cannot be like an American which is a really 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 problematic view if Jews are defined as this other then like that can be used and you see it used by like Christian Zionists all the time to basically demean Jews all the time. Yeah, like, well, it's that's, a that's, see, that's the thing in the, the, I, I, the, the nuance I draw, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but anti-Semitism actually in Britain is a little more like still there. I mean, it's still everywhere. Like we had the Jersey City. Uh, that's I don't know enough details about that, but that's it was horrible. a very weird one. It's a weird one. Very sounds very strange. And of course, the Pittsburgh uh, synagogue. So that was, it, that was more uh, cut and dry. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Um, I mean, that's sick. And and I know that I think culturally, because England still has that fucking inbred peonage fucking vice count of you know uh, fucking durham and all kinds of bullshit and so that the legacy of that there's still some there's probably still more anti-semitism generally i think in that sort of like upper class even middle class in the uk that maybe we don't have here um almost, but it's, yeah almost definitely but it's de- but it's there but I mean, you heard the, uh, the 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 outgoing speaker of the House of Commons, uh, Barkow, John Barkow. He's a Jewish man, and he was in an interview, I think, for ITV, and he asked him, like, first of all, he said the idea that Jeremy Corbyn, who I've known for thirty five years as an anti semite, as a Jew, is like almost offensive to me because that's absurd. He was like. <clears throat> You know, obviously, I know there's anti-Semitism in the country, but it's not really a political party based. 
And he's like, well, has any, he's like, nobody in the labor party has ever even been like said anything anti-Semitic to me. He's like, well, has anybody? He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, but nobody in the labor party has. And so like, it, it's, 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 it's a little bit absurd in, in that respect. Here in the United States, I think it's more um, the, the evangelical sort of Christian thing. Like the the end times, sort yeah. It's of a thing. combination of that That's, and like the far right, like yeah. So, and I mean, I I will say, like I've seen anti-Semitism on the left. Like I know people who have said anti-Semitic things, and I'll call them out. Like it happens. But like the thing about the left is that usually they're actually kind of willing. Like if they, most of the time, it's not an intentional. Like and as with the case with a lot of racism, a lot of anti-Semitism isn't an intentional thing that people think of themselves as like, oh yeah, I'm an anti-Semite. I hold anti-Semitic beliefs. It's usually things that are, you know, sort of culturing ingrained in you. And luckily these couple of people that like it did happen, I called them out. And actually a, a friend of mine who's another Jewish leftist, he called them out more like specifically and directly that most of the time they'll like, uh, people on the left, they'll realize what they've said if you explain it to them and they'll usually change their behavior. Whereas you know, like radical right wingers, they don't give a shit. Like they, they do hate Jews, and so I think it's important. Like if you see an instance of anti-Semitism, and this is left, right, center, wherever, like it needs to be called out directly, and you need to explain why it's anti-Semitic, and you need to explain why it's wrong. Uh, but I think equally important is to fight against this idea. Like I just saw an article this last week calling Bernie Sanders anti-Semitic because he wasn't fully in support of Israel. Like that's absurd. And we need to call that out just as directly. Yeah, I mean, that's the, again, Bernie has started to bring up the fact that, you know, the reason he doesn't have a large extended family is because most of them have been killed. So to, to not, to, to say he's somehow unsympathetic to that idea is fucking absurd. But again, you saw it in The Federalist earlier this week. I mean, The Federalist is well, yeah, fascist I mean, garbage. Yeah. That's fascist garbage. But you saw it in, you know, it's going to start hitting sort of like the centrist, like the Hill Politico kind of things because people are going to start doing sort of what they did to Corbin. Like it wasn't that he did it, but he's associated with it. And what that means is he thinks the Palestinians are human beings is basically what it means, which, again, I, I, I don't know if it's going to stick as much here. I mean, plus the fact that Bernie, you know, is a Jew. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, I, you know, I, I don't, they, they definitely, I mean, there's definitely going to be, you know, smears. We know that, but how, how absurd we're going to be and what's going to be the, the sort of the argument against them. Is it going to resonate? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really surprised. I'm actually, again, it shows my ignorance sort of. With the sort of zeitgeister culture in Britain, which you know I'm, you know I know people from there. I, I follow the politics. I follow the art. I follow the football from there. I, I feel like I know, but you know something's up when you can paint a guy who's basically a you know among other things sort of a human rights activist in Corbyn, you know talking about homeless people. Uh, and immigrants and everything when when you can make that stick that's fucking scary stuff but again they called mandela a terrorist so i mean also like 
this is a very specific one that I've seen a lot, that if you are assuming that if someone's like going against the rich and against the 1%, that that implicitly means that they're talking about Jews, you're the one who has some uh, biases that you need to re-examine. <laughs> yes. I mean, is that I've seen a that thing? so much, especially with Corbin, that the idea... Um, there was some guy on Twitter that was like going after AOC for endorsing Corbin and he was saying like for the many, not the Jew. It's like the idea that Corbin's like anti-austerity, like if you think that Jews are the ones that are like engaging in austerity and they're the ones at the top of and that are controlling everything government, that they're the economic elites, that is you being anti-Semitic. Like it's so bizarre that people, they say, okay, so you don't. 100% support Israel, so you're anti-Semitic. So then every time that you go after the 1%, that you go after the economic elites, you must be going after Jews. Like, no, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like, there are people who are Jewish who are in the 1%, but the idea that, like, those are equal concepts is absolutely bizarre. Like, most of the most of the Jewish people I know are, like, poor or working class. Like, the idea that... Well, and the it's other so thing bizarre. is, and the, again, I, I hate it. To, just is the same <coughs> thing as saying that Jews control the media or Jews I, control the economy. It's and and I guess I'm I, I'm I'm hesitating from saying that making like the hypocrite hypocrite argument because it's so stupid. Nobody cares if you're a hypocrite or not a hypocrite. You just <coughs> it's pretty clear based on politics throughout my 45 years on Earth. <coughs> nobody gives a shit if you're a hypocrite. However, you know, let's let's not be naive. Do you think so the 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 party that was wielding this anti-semitic and I go back to the John Barkow statement the party wielding this thing about anti anti-semitic I mean they're 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 the racists I mean look at Jacob Rees-Mogg You think that guy gives a fuck if anybody's now I'm not I'm not calling him anti-semitic I don't know anything. I, like I, I know his politics. And I know who he is. I know how he grew up. And if anybody doesn't know, just look up Jacob Rees-Mogg. He had a fucking See a picture of had him. a German nanny. You'll understand. He's the guy that laid down on the front bench and during the Brexit things. And he, he, yeah, he's a, he's just a he's an inbred cunt. The idea that him or people like him or people he knows. Or even, you know, working class sort of, you know, your general working class person in the north of England, say, in Sunderland or Newcastle. The idea that they give a shit about, like, if somebody's anti-Semitic or racist, I don't think they do. That's what makes it even more cynical, is they use the argument against Corbyn, but they don't give a fuck. That's that makes it. That's the tough thing. That's what sticks in my crawl, is that they don't. They they don't actually care. They would happily vote for an anti-Semite. They don't care. Well, the conservatives unveiled like literally like two weeks before the election a big statue of uh, one of the early female MPs who was a literal Nazi sympathizer. Like they don't give a shit he, about Jewish people. Yes, Theresa May. The day it was unveiled. Was like, hey, and I wish I could remember her name, and I believe she was the first uh, woman to be seated. So another, it's funny. Read this very closely, and maybe Carl can look it up. <clears throat> but they're they're actually very clear about this woman who they're that they just have a statue of in Westminster, who was the first female parliamentarian seated in Parliament. Seated, seated, because 
uh, some like radical leftist, like Northern Irish person or Scottish woman was elected in a vote, but they were like, no, nah, we're not doing that. So that person actually never got seated, which is very interesting. Not the radical leftists, but the Nazi sympathizers. The Nazi sympathizers totally who fine. wrote a letter to Hitler basically wanting to fillet that guy because of his views on you know social order. She has a fucking bronze statue in Westminster. But they cared that now somehow they cared that Corbyn was, a, was an anti-Semite. Okay, yeah, sure. It's ridiculous. You got to call it as you see it, folks. Folks, I mean, these are facts, folks. You can... You can go, you can look this shit up. It's true. Look it up. Like, once again, need to state anti-Semitism is out there. It's important to call it out, whether it's left, right, center. And I mean, I like I've I've seen examples in my real life. I've seen some example in politics of like left wingers saying anti-Semitic stuff, and usually they do get called out pretty quickly. Um, and the good ones, at least, they usually will apologize if it's a. a real issue which sometimes it is sometimes people get messed up over nothing like something like uh ilan omar tweeting about the benjamins like that was obvious nonsense some of the she had said stuff in the past that maybe was that she apologized for that was maybe not as great but then they would get whipped over or over song well the mood wasn't great in here friends uh still trying to sort of process uh, what's happened in the UK, but uh, all it's really done is sort of support my view that, as Lincoln said, we are going to be the last best hope on earth for a a people's program, a Bernie's program. You know. So we're going to be out on the local level, on the state level, on the national level campaigning for exactly that we're not going to be discouraged by this we're going to be disappointed but not discouraged there's also a lot of other things to look forward to we've been talking with uh, a lot of different folks there's going to be this erica produced episode about uh, some really specific organizing that's going on uh, there's a few uh, political uh, folks some elected officials who have decided to maybe come in and talk about what they do we'll see we'll see what kind of uh, you know you need political courage to get things done and if you think I'm talking to you then I'm talking to you patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker at Highlands Bunker on Twitter I'm going to suggest that you seriously think about throwing us five bucks a month because folks at five bucks a month or higher, I think next year when we start sort of adding to our repertoire, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna come up with a nice founding sort of founding member gift for you. So consider patronage, folks. We're gonna stay here. We're still gonna fight the fight. Left is still best, regardless of electoral politics. Left is still best. And we're gonna uh, we're gonna get uh, Chelsea Manning out of jail. That's our next thing. Uh, we're gonna talk about how we can write her uh, some Christmas and New Year's notes. Coming up, folks. Goodbye. <laughs>